Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 8, The Resurrection, recorded Sunday, October 30th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Glad to welcome you this morning. We're excited, of course, about this morning being the morning of baptisms, and uh, everything is culminated from the book of Mark to this moment, Broken Bow. We welcome you, and we hope that uh, today great things will happen there and here in Grand Island as people think about their lives in the context of a question that we've been asking and, and hopefully answering over the last almost year now since we started the book of Mark. The first verse in the book of Mark says that he is the Son of God. The rest of the book prove those claims. And now today, we have this opportunity, do we crown him with thorns or with glory? That's the question. And I want to begin with Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Here's what it says. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early in the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. Entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. It's almost like a scolding of them. You know, like He's been telling you this stuff all along. You should know this. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, as we talked about last week, chapter 15 closed on the darkest moment in human history. The disastrous Friday when they crucified him, and then they took him from that cross and they lay him in a grave. And the gospel ends with these women who had just walked into an empty tomb and they left filled with joy and astonishment for what they had seen. Now, it would also, I want you to know there'd be a mistake to read their, you know, it said things they were afraid and all. Well, the, the, the phraseology means they were in awe. They were, they were probably in shock. And they had to get their heads wrapped around this this fact that in the original Greek, the word astonishment means ecstasy. They were caught up in the ecstasy and the excitement of the, of the fact that Jesus was not there. And they go, did go tell others, by the way. Uh, they ran to Peter. They ran to the disciples. And in their uncontainable ecstasy, they made it, they, Jesus made them to be the first ones to preach the gospel of the resurrection. I like how Carl Henley, Henry stated the resurrection. He said, he, Jesus, planted the only durable rumor of hope amid a widespread despair in a hopeless world. I would say that message is never more needed than today. Now, if I can dismiss these eight verses that I just read, I can live my life any old way I want to. 
I can live for myself. I can die for myself. But if these eight verses are true, it's about him. It's about him and what he wants from me, from you. And I have to decide, when I come to these verses, it's really up to me to say, crown of thorns or crown of glory. These eight verses bring us to a decision. But what I'm here to proclaim to you today is that the resurrection of Jesus brings hope. Hope. The resurrection of Jesus proves to you that the horror is over. I like the phrase that he uses. He's the only one of the gospel writers to say this. He says, the Sabbath has passed. Friday and Saturday, they're behind us. The worst days the world has ever experienced up to that point, they're gone. On Friday, their lives were turned upside down in the worst of ways, these disciples, when they went and hid because Jesus had died. Their whole life had been put into him. Every, you know, every investment they had been making for three and a half years were in that guy. And when he died on that cross, every one of them thought, it's over. And I, I assume, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I'm assuming because of their fear, every breath they took was torture for two and a half days. Like they just, they didn't know what to do. Because apart from Jesus, people live their days in kind of a ritual dance with death. And for the first time in several years, all they could think about was their hopes being crushed. And, and they, like us, they lived in a, an increasingly godless world where death does dominate our thinking and our being, where hopelessness and meaninglessness apart from God takes over our lives. Some of you are experiencing that horror firsthand today. You, you, you're facing something that has you afraid to death. From sickness in your life to some pressure that you're getting from relationship chaos where you think you're going to die if things don't work out. Hopelessness can, seen, can be seen in the entire world through, you know, through governments and schools as they push God out of, the, out of the equation. And they say there is no God. And they try to teach our kids and, and they try to push us into that kind of thinking and being. And even the most optimistic leaders from those from those places, they look to the future, and their future is only about today and what mankind can do, what humankind can accomplish. But there's nothing that leads them beyond that. We can see it in, in, in how Saturday's children are living their lives. And what I mean by that are our own kids who increasingly are being pushed away from a God narrative, and they're living into themselves and into their devices. And we see it in child and teen self-destruction, which is rampant today. And I promise you, whatever you're experiencing, whatever it is you're worried about, whatever frightens you, whatever it is that pushes you away from God, whatever it is that sucks the life of you, that out of you, that, that horror can be put behind you. And why is that? Because this is no longer Friday. And Saturday is past. The Sabbath is complete. This is Sunday. This is Resurrection Day. And I know, I'm a human being who faces things like you do. I know that even as I say that, you might be sitting there going, yeah, well, I got obstacles. Like, I got obstacles to even stepping forward today and and being baptized. I mean, I got some anxiety bombs that just won't go away. I've got some fear bombs. I've got some hurt bombs. I've got some guilt bombs. I've got some 
disease bombs. I've got got some death bombs that are lobbing their nasty stuff right over my head and blowing me up. I've got obstacles. When Mary got to the tomb, it dawned on them that that there was a stone. I I guess they forgot. And they were naturally concerned about how we're going to move this thing. It was huge, and I talked about this last week, how it would be easy to put in the hole be very difficult without several people helping to remove it from the hole. An obstacle. And I assume that you have obstacles. I think everyone here has excuses on why they don't enter into the empty tomb and why you won't today. You, you just can't do it today. You can't, empty in, you can't enter into that, that tomb of baptism and come out alive because you got obstacles. Well, let me tell you something. The seal has been broken and the stone has been rolled away for you. You don't have to roll the stone away. The stone was rolled back. I mean, what are we doing here today? What are you here for? Is this some kind of a social thing that you do every week just to make yourself feel better? I mean, do you come in here just to, you know, you like the music? You know, I'm going to go because I like the music. you here because, you know, I don't know. There's something here that, that draws you, but we're not singing to God today because Jesus died, Okay. We're not going to commune together in a few minutes because of a crucified Jesus. We're not giving our resources through, you know, our generous giving today because because Jesus was buried in a tomb. I, I would never even consider inviting you to baptism today if it was about a dead Jesus. We'd be doing something else today. Now, we're here because there's an open tomb and Jesus isn't there. That's why we're here. Historically, you might want to know this because maybe you're like me and you operate with a healthy dose of skepticism. Like, I'm a fairly skeptical guy. Like, like I, I struggle with believing in things like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and, and you know, crucified good guys who somehow raised from the dead. I mean, that, that was a struggle for me to really grasp that and believe that. But the reason I'm standing before you today is because I've found that it's true and it's really not arguable. It really is, not even historically. Like the empty tomb has been the answer to all the arguments of all the skeptics for 20 centuries about a God who can change your life. No one has ever been able to explain the resurrection, explain it away. They've tried, they tried to do it right away. I mean, the deniers in the ancient ancient moments they circulated rumors about how his disciples had come and stolen the body or how the, the leaders of the, of the Jewish people had taken the body so that they couldn't claim it to be raised. But I have one simple question for you on that regard. If that's the case, why didn't they just produce the body when people started to claim he was raised? It's pretty simple. We know that on the third day that tomb was empty. We know that for 20 centuries people have been trying to discredit it. I just want to give you a few reasons why I believe fully that Jesus raised from the dead. And these have nothing even to do with the changed lives that I witness every day in my life. First of all, the last thing they would have done in the first century would have been to say to to women that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Now, before I get emails, let me just say this. In the first century, I didn't make the rules. But in the first century, women were not even allowed to testify in a court of law 
because of the idea that only men were reliable for that, which is ridiculous, isn't it? And by the way, Jesus started changing those attitudes when he was here on earth walking forward with humanity. He stopped that nonsense. But, but the fact is, that point that women were the first witnesses, is, it, it leads to credibility that they were. Because if you were inventing this story, if you were making it up, you would not have done that. Another thing, the Jews and Romans tried to make up the story that the body had been moved. But here's the deal. All they had to do is produce that body. Why didn't they? And then another thing is, what about the hundreds of witnesses who had seen Jesus between the time of his resurrection and when he ascended to be with God? Some have suggested that it was a mass hallucination. Really? I mean, like... Somehow you can all have the same. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I, was, uh, how I, I, I had sometimes have pretty vivid dreams. They don't mean anything, but they're a lot of fun. But sometimes I'll be dreaming, you know, and I'll wake up. And, I, and what if I could just say, hey, Jackie, you want to get in on this dream? Come right on in, you know? It doesn't work that way. Hallucination is kind of a personal thing, right? You can't have hundreds of people having the same hallucination. What about the 11 remaining disciples? I mean, Judas killed himself, so there were 11 left. But they were hiding as cowards on Friday and Saturday. And, and almost immediately, they're out in the marketplace saying, there is a raised Jesus. You need to know this. And that, the cross they put him on, that would be theirs too, most of them. I mean, it would take a resurrection, right? What about this Pharisee named Paul who became the primary witness for the resurrection, and he started so many churches, a man who was hell-bent on destroying the church until he himself saw the risen Jesus, and he was changed and transformed. He changed the world because of Jesus. And what about Jesus' half-brother James, who became the early leader of the church in the city of crucifixion, who he himself was denying Jesus before the resurrection? But after the resurrection, he became the leader of the church, and he was actually the first martyr to give his life. He lost his head over Jesus. Okay, I have brothers. I love both of my brothers dearly. I'm trying to think what it would take for me to consider one of them to be God. And I'm just telling you, it would take a resurrection. That's what it would take. That's what, and they'd say the same thing about me. Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead. The cross was payment for your sins. The resurrection is the receipt, okay? Death is conquered. Jesus opened the door so that you could pass through and be raised. And that is applied in your baptism. The scripture makes this clear. There's no question about it, that that's the meeting point of a sinner and a savior so this transaction can be made complete. Because the resurrection shows that death is ousted. I like the words of the angel, and you know, they were, they were pretty simple because these people had not grasped it fully where he said, he is not here. That is, the dead are not here. And those words are made very clear, and they're made so clear that for centuries people could not miss the point. 
that there was a bodily resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't just something spiritual. It wasn't like, you know, some cults will say, well, he was really just a spiritual reality where the spiritual Jesus was. No, it was a physical bodily resurrection. The Bible consistently defends that proposition because guess what? Someday you and I, if we believe in Christ and give our lives to him in salvation, we will have a bodily resurrection. Our, you know, he will come back and our spirits and our new bodies will join together for eternity. Jesus went to the cross, into that tomb. He took our sin. He crucified our sin. He buried our sin. He did that for you. And when you're baptized today, you are entering into a physical recreation of what Jesus did when he died for you, when he buried your old, your, you in your old life, and he raised you in your new life. And that means hope is on. Hope is here. Hope can be here for you today. This is what changed the women that morning. This is what filled them with hope. This is what brought them from the depths of agony and despair to the trembling ecstasy of knowing that Jesus was not there. The rumor that was spread throughout the world from that point on, the rumor of hope. And you don't want to pass by this command. The, the angel, the young man, the way Mark puts it, but the angel that's established in other gospels, he said, go tell his disciples and Peter. That's interesting. But the empty tomb is an invitation to all who have run away from God, who have denied God, and who are hiding in their sin. That's why I like that phrase, and I think it's so important. The empty tomb for Peter was an invitation to grace. The empty tomb for you is an invitation to grace, to forgiveness, to new hope, to new life, to starting over. The other gospel writers fill in the story so we know what happened after the women left the tomb. Mary Magdalene had an encounter with Jesus before she went to tell Peter and John what had happened. And uh, he revealed himself to her and so he showed, him, he showed himself to be alive, and that, of course, changed her even deeper. She went and ran and gave that news to Peter and, and John, and they ran to the tomb, and they saw that it was true, and that gave them hope. In the afternoon, he appeared to two disciples on a road called the Road to Emmaus, where he presented himself as the raised Jesus. That evening, in the upper room where the disciples had had the Lord's Supper uh, just a few days later, earlier, the 10 disciples were there and he came into that room. Peter was there too. And he showed them that he had raised. And then we're told that one week later in Jerusalem, Jesus appeared to the 11 with Thomas there this time. And we know that what happened there was that Thomas, who would, was doubting the resurrection for a whole week, was now able to touch the very hands of Jesus and feel the nail prints in his hands and know it was him. That happened there. He was convinced. And then uh, Jesus went into Galilee where he met with the disciples. If you remember, there's a story about how uh, he was on the beach uh, on, the, on the Sea of Galilee and they were fishing and they weren't having any success. And he told them to do what he'd done with them a couple years earlier to put the net on the other side of the boat, and they did, and they caught a lot of fish. And at that point, Peter knew who it was. And uh, he leaped out of the boat, swam to the shore, 
and they had breakfast with Jesus, where Jesus reinstated Peter for a specific purpose, to say, I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to feed my sheep. And that happened then. And we know he appeared to others, 500 people on the mountainside in Galilee, as he went into the clouds to be taken to heaven to be with God, to be at the, you know, the presence of Jesus and the, God, and, and whatever that means. When he left this world to be with God, witnesses saw that as well. Here's the thing. This has been the experience of thousands, even billions of people from that day on. And that's why we're here today. We have testimony, we have evidence, we have convincing proofs, we, we know our emotions are pulled toward him. We know that there's something about God that draws us to him through Jesus. And, and no matter what you think about the, the proofs, if your heart and your mind are being, tr- being pulled and attracted to God today, then this is your morning. Because he wants you to empty into, into He wants you to enter into an empty tomb and come out alive through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as applied by your death, your burial, and your resurrection through baptism. There are several people today who have decided to be baptized already. And by the way, if you're one of those persons, I want you to go at this point and and get ready because I want you to be ready when we're going to baptize. Jesus passed the message on. He said, tell them, to meet me. He told the Marys, tell them to meet me in Galilee. And he's been giving that same message to us for 56 years here at Third City Christian Church. It's the message of this church. We tell them to meet him. It will be the message of this church this morning, next week, next year, until he returns, God willing. He is raised. Come meet him. That's your invitation. In this moment, you choose. You come. Your parents can't make this choice for you. There's a whole lot of people in this community who their parents tried to do the right thing and had their children baptized as infants. That's not what baptism is. The word baptism means to be buried in water and raised out of it. And it's something that people who believe in Jesus themselves, they make that decision. I'm not discrediting your parents or the churches you grew up in. I'm just telling you that's not what baptism is. This is baptism. You choose. Your decision. Here's how Romans 6 puts it. I think it's very clear. I don't know how you can miss it. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free. Sin buried with him in that tomb. And now he's raised. But now if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Today, will you trust him? Today, Will you cast aside the obstacles? 
Today, will you walk into that empty tomb? Will you put your death behind you? Will you put your sin where it belongs, in the dust of the grave? The seal is opened. Let him put the deadly things of your life behind you because he will change you moment by moment with hope. I assume there are people here today you've never really thought about or even knows, know what it means to be raised. Well, I can tell you what it means, and you'll have to experience it for yourself. It means you're going to have peace. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You know, when you come out of that tomb alive today, that water tomb, and you come out of that in resurrection, things are going to start changing for you. But it's not going to just be like that for you. Before God it will be. That's the way he'll see you. But now you go into this transformational process where God moves you, clothes you with him, changes you from the inside out, and that's a process. If God is so moving you today as we commune together, we, we, you know, I just want you to pray about that. God, I, I didn't come here today ready, but we're ready for you. you know, all you need to do is walk through those east doors after communion. I'm going to lead the way through there. And just follow me, and today will be the day that he takes care of the rest. That he takes care of the rest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for raising. Thank you for raising from the dead because that means you're raising us. Thank you for giving us baptism, a time and place, a marker point where we personally can show our death to sin, that you buried that sin, and that we are raised to walk in the power of resurrection life with you. In that moment, we'll remember it for the rest of our lives. Thank you for making this about you and not my efforts to appease you. It's not what this is about. Thank you for raising me to live differently because the former way was wrecking me. It's destroying me and those around me. I can no longer live in that deadly tomb. Bring me alive. Bring me out alive. Thank you for continuing to change me by creating within me a newness you call me the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're willing to dwell in that temple and change my life. Thank you for giving this church the message of hope to live out every day as we call people to where you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.